Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're really pleased you've been able to join us again for the program. The church is actually on a mission. To understand the mission, we need to understand one of the foundational truths about God. If you've done any reading in the New Testament of the Bible or moved in church circles for more than a few minutes, you may be familiar with what is termed the Great Commission. It was God's directive to the church, its special job if you like, to go forth and evangelise the known world. But wait, there's more. God's mission for the church involves so much more that we can be engaged with. Let's look further, shall we, by joining Dr. Corbett now for finding Truth Matters. Tonight, engaging in God's mission for the church. We're continuing in our Church Reimagined series and we've already looked at some of the history of the church and how God has a plan. We can see that perhaps uh, while some people view denominations as outside of the will of God for the church, I've actually made the case because of how we see the history of the church unfold, that God has actually designed for the church not to be overseen by one person or one group of people, but I believe by the wisdom of God, he has orchestrated what we might call tribal Christianity in the sense that it's easier to lead, mobilize, coordinate a segment of the church and I'm not, I don't want to be heard to say I don't believe in cooperation among different denominations or anything like that, not at all. I think the recent Tasmania celebration with Will Graham, which was under the auspices of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, demonstrates what a church working together from different denominations can actually achieve when we come at it with a very particular purpose. And that word purpose is the word mission. So mission actually means purpose, how we understand our purpose. I want to now, in this installment, look at engaging in God's mission for the church. The church is actually on a mission. To understand the mission, we need to understand one of the foundational truths about God. We can describe God is loving. We can describe God as that, God is loving. But we would be doing the character and nature of God a little bit of an injustice because it's not just that God is loving. It's that as 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8 says, God actually is love. God is love. It's not that he is loving. It's that he is love. Therefore, everything he does is an act of love. So it's not that, you know, we, we might say he's a very loving person, but we all know that there are times when perhaps they might have a bad day or perhaps they might not as be as considerate as they could have been or otherwise. But in God's instance, everything he does is an act of love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. And so when we are in a relationship with God, we come to know that we are filled with that love. Romans chapter 5, we, he pours out his love into us and his love does something in us. His, his love causes us to to 
want to reach other people with that love so that they might come to know the love of God. We see that God has called a church family to make his love known. It's a central part of our uh, mission, our mission to make God known and to share his love with people. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and to 15, we see that the church exists with a very clear mission and he has created us to be a family comprised of people who have perhaps no blood relationship. They, they may come from different parts of the world. They may be different skin colors. They may speak even different languages. But in Christ, God has called the church to be a family. And so with that in mind, we, we read here in Ephesians 3, 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. So we have this amazing statement from Paul that God has created a family. A family. In verses 17 down to verse 19, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And that word saint is a word that was used in the New Testament to describe the ordinary everyday believer in Christ, not some special person. It's an ordinary Christian with all the saints. What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when we know the love of God, that love cannot but help <laughs> overflow out of us toward others who do not know that love. We begin to share in the love of God for all people. I know that there are some people who have a, a picture of God that he's not very loving. <laughs> in fact, he's a harsh tyrant. Or perhaps at the other end of that spectrum, there may be people that think no matter what they do, they have God's approval and they conflate or confuse the concept of approval with love. But this is not God. God's love is such that he wants the absolute best for people and the absolute best that you and I can experience and enjoy is to know God and to know that he loves us because he is love. With that in mind, it's going to be a bit of a, a journey for us to realize that Love does not mean he accepts or approves of everything we do. Every parent knows this. We love our children. I'm the father of four children. If I approved of everything they did, they would end up completely messed up. They would not, they would not be equipped to live the kind of life that they were created by God to live at all because they would be rather confused. Now, here's where, how many Christians see the love of God. They see the love of God as uh, just simply evangelism, <laughs> simply telling people they need to get saved so that they can go to heaven. I'm going to suggest to you that's actually not 
our mission. I know some people present it that way, but I want us to understand something. Let, let me back up a little bit here. Before God created mankind, humankind, he already had a family. It was his heavenly family. And he created them with a mission. And their mission was that the day would come when he would create mankind. And their mission, their mission was to assist him in that. So we see in the Garden of Eden, we get a clue about this, that when Adam and Isha, the woman, a Hebrew word for woman, when they had disobeyed God, God sent them out of the east gate of Eden and immediately a heavenly being called a cherub was placed there to guard that gate. And as Adam and the woman left the garden, they didn't go, who are you? <laughs> they didn't go, what are you? They, there was a familiarity with, this, with these heavenly creatures. God called these heavenly creatures in Psalm 82 verse 1, uh, where it says, God has taken his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods he holds judgment these creatures had god-like capacities they had the capacity to execute god's judgment we see that in daniel chapter 4 we see that these creatures represented god but it wasn't until god created mankind that he had he now had creatures that bore his image Interesting side note here that these some of these powerful heavenly creatures chose to rebel against God as well, as well as mankind did. And so now God then chose a man uh, who later his name was Abram and later his name was changed to Abraham. And God chose him and his family line and then a clan a tribe rather, within his family line, that is the tribe of Jacob. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. And from that family line and from that tribe of that descendant of Abraham, God chose a nation to become a kingdom. And this is what Stephen, the church's first martyr, uh, said in Acts chapter 7, in that powerful address to the leaders of the Jewish Sanhedrin, where he said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, go out uh, from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And on it goes, describing how God called a people to become a nation who would represent him. To them, because of his love, they, Israel, would receive the commands of God. And this is how we know that there is an intrinsic link between loving and understanding what brings pleasure and delight to the one who loves you. And for God, when he chose Israel, one of the first things he did when he brought them out of their bondage in Egypt was to give them his law. In other words, this is how you are designed to live. So Exodus chapter 19, verse 7. So Moses came and called all the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him to give to the nation of Israel. And so they were called, that nation, nation of Israel, was called to represent God to the nations. We see in Isaiah 42 verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. 
I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. So Israel was not called just to be a nation enjoying a relationship with God. They were called to enjoy a relationship with God. And because of that enjoyment, other nations would become envious and they would want to come into that light, that light of relationship with God. And so we see in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. But it never happened with Israel. And here the prophet Isaiah is foretelling of when God would take another people and bring them into union with him, and that is the church. Ezekiel had actually already described the relationship of Israel to God as being like a marriage. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love, and I spread out the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made a vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord your God, and you became mine. So we see that expression, that I formed a covenant with you, is an expression that we would use in two people, a man and a woman, being married. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And here is the prophecy that the Messiah would come. He would represent Israel. Those that would be connected to him would be grafted in, in a sense, to the, pur- the original purpose of Israel, and that is to be a light to the nations of the world, to let them see this is what life was meant to be like. You were meant to be in relationship with God. So we see the history as we have partly seen in the history of the church going back into the old testament we see that god raised up the patriarchs that is patriarch means father abraham his son isaac his son jacob jacob's descendants became the 12 tribes and they had this mission to be a light to the nations but ultimately the old testament reveals they rebelled as well they went into the things the very things that god said do not do this idolatry and so on sexual immorality that always is always linked to idolatry in fact the bible calls their rebellion their idolatry as adultery it also describes it as harlotry strong language isaiah chapter 1 and verse 21 the prophet says how the faithful city has become a prostitute she has she she who was full of justice the righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers, describing her rebellion. And of course, as we read through the book of Jeremiah, we see this is what the, the prophet Jeremiah had said as well. So in Jeremiah 2, chapter 2, verse 20, For long ago I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I will not serve. Yes, on every high hill and on every green tree you bowed down, like a prostitute it's a, it's so sad the language is just heartbroken and ezekiel says the same thing ezekiel 16 verse 15 and of course the, the whole story of hosea it, it tells this as well hosea chapter 1 verse 2 yet despite their betrayal despite their rebellion god through the prophet hosea in chapter 1 verse 10 actually gives a vision a glimpse 
of one day he would take a people who were not necessarily in the line of Abraham and they would become his people. And so it says here, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, which is what Israel would have said about the surrounding nations, it shall be said to them, You are children of the living God. That's Hosea chapter 1, verse 10. So in Paul's letter to the Romans, he refers to this prophecy by Hosea. And he also quotes Isaiah and says that they had foretold has now been fulfilled by those who have accepted Christ and become members of his church, whether they be Jews or Gentiles, it doesn't matter. The ethnicity of a person is not what invokes God's approval. It is about grace, not race. So we read in Romans chapter 9, verse 25, down to verse 27, Paul says this, and indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. And that remnant means that there were some who were descendants of Abram, who remained faithful. They didn't go into rebellion. And the Old Testament has depictions of those people as well. So we know that the remnant, that is the, the small group of people who remained loyal and faithful to God, formed a part of that. And on the day that the church was birthed, on the day of Pentecost, Many of those people surrendered their life to Christ and accepted that Christ was the very one that the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Hosea and Ezekiel had foretold of. We see in each of the four Gospels that then Christ gives what we refer to as the Great Commission. So as we're looking at partnering with God in the mission that he has for us, Matthew describes that mission as a teaching and a discipling mission. The key phrase is teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Of course, Matthew was uh, written to Jews. And so we read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, that it says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. I want you to notice he, the message that Christ has is don't go and tell, don't, don't, the message was not this. Tell people they need to uh, say this prayer so that they can go to heaven. That was not what Christ commissioned the church to do according to Matthew. As I said, Matthew's presenting the, the Great Commission as a teaching and a discipling, which means training and teaching, mission. But notice this, the mission was based on this, Jesus Christ is Lord. That means when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not some, not a lot, not most, all. Therefore, make disciples. The point being is every person should surrender to Jesus Christ not to make him saviour, not to make him Lord, 
But every person should surrender to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done it, you need to do it right now because Jesus Christ is Lord. And if he be your Lord, he will be your saviour because you cannot surrender to him as Lord without recognising that your absolute dependence on him for salvation, that is a life beyond the grave in order to give him glory for eternity. If you make him Lord, you are surrendering to him as the saviour of your soul. But you are not making him Lord and you are not making him saviour. I hear people say, surrender to Christ, give your heart to Christ and make him Lord of your life. Can I just tell you right now, he is Lord of your life. You need to start living like it. That's the truth. And that's the mission that Matthew says Christ gave to his disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of nations. So the reason people should surrender to Jesus Christ is not so they can go to heaven. It's because he's Lord. And any other claim of lordship over a person's life is a lie. And as long as people live in a lie, they are not living the way God had intended for them to live. They are not living the, the life that God has created them to live and they are missing out. But ultimately, by missing out, they are in sin and thereby they are not giving God the glory, the honour and the thanks that he deserves because he is Lord. The Gospel of Mark, which was written to Romans, says that the mission was to proclaim the gospel to all creation, the whole of creation. That's an evangelistic mission. Evangelism means share the good news. It's actually good news for people to come to understand that it's not politicians who are Lord. It's not kings and monarchs who are Lord. And in the days of the Greco-Roman Empire, it's not Caesar in Rome who is Lord. It's Christ. And so we, we read in the Gospel of Mark, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. See, Christ expects that we will live boldly, confidently and courageously to declare to a world that often shakes its fist at Christ in utter defiance. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel, the good news. And we're going to tell everyone in all creation, the whole of creation, that you need to surrender to that Lord, not that Lord, the Lord, and his name is Jesus. And Mark tells us, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Because why? Because believing is one thing, to be baptized is an act of surrender. So the one who surrenders to Christ is acknowledging he is Lord. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues or new languages. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age because he's eternal. <laughs> 
Only Christ, only Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the three in one, only God is eternal. And Christ is declaring that he will be with his followers to the end of the age. That's Mark's gospel. That's how Mark presents the mission of the church. The gospel of Luke was written to Gentiles. It's a prophetic mission. What did prophets do in the Old Testament? They called people to repent. So the key phrase in Luke's rendition of what Christ said, he emphasizes the prophetic mission of the church. He says this, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And there we have this literary device where you take the capital city to represent the nation. When we talk about the President of the United States issuing a decree, we often will hear it said, Washington today issued a statement. Well, I'm pretty sure the entire population of Washington didn't issue a statement, but we know what they mean. In the same sense, we see here in the Gospel of Luke, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He said to them, these are my words, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, hear the prophetic overtones in what Luke is sharing, in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Even in the Psalms, Christ is saying there's prophecies there that had to be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that, and here's the prophetic summons in the Old Testament, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So both Mark and Luke have this supernatural element to what's happening here. In Luke, it was to be followed by spectacular signs and wonders. In Luke's gospel, he declares that there would be people who would respond supernaturally to this message that Christ is Lord and that therefore they needed to repent. And in the gospel of John, written to Greeks, these are people who held to Greek philosophy, a Greek worldview. They were Hellenizers or Hellenistic. Helen is the Greek word for Greece. So the Gospel of John was a pastoral mission. So, so far we've seen that Matthew was a teaching, discipling mission. Mark was an evangelistic mission. And Luke was a prophetic mission. And the Gospel of John tells of Christ giving a pastoral mission. The key words in that statement the Great Commission in John is feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So we read in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. I hope you can see that the Great Commission, the mission that God wants the church on, is not just simply a matter of holding evangelistic crusades. It's also a matter of what we do every Sunday, every Monday. It involves what we do through the week. It is about teaching, caring, being truthful witnesses in a prophetic sense. So God's mission for the church is much bigger than just simply holding evangelistic missions evangelism is in there but there's much more the mission is much more than how many people have appreciated it and i want us as the church today to come on this mission the mission is so broad there's a place for you to be a part of this mission he has entrusted his earthly family that is the church with such an important mission. And, and unlike ancient Israel under the Old Covenant, he who only experienced God's presence occasionally, to us, he says, I'll be with you always. He has entrusted to us by the presence of the Holy Spirit, his abiding presence, his abiding power through the Holy Spirit to confirm his word. We can pray and things will happen, rest assured, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 tells us that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how much he loves us. And he, he is completely invested in his mission for us as a church to take his message and command people to return to the Lord and Savior of their soul. Ultimately, there is a vision that goes beyond this life it's it's amazing this is the vision that christ gave to the apostle john to give to the church it's the it's in the closing book of the bible and it's revelation chapter 7 verses 9 to 10 and it says this after this i looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, a symbol of victory, dating back to the story of the conquering of Jericho, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Father, help us to be your people. Help us to be a faithful, obedient people, a people who recognise that we do not make you Lord, we surrender to you as Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be on mission, to be ever aware that we are to shine a light to a lost world that is trapped in darkness. I pray, Father, that you would give everyone who is listening to me right now, whether right here, whether over the internet, whether by radio or podcast, Speak to them. Give them a grander, greater, more glorious vision of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so with that, Lord, I pray that for those who do not yet know Christ as Lord, that in this moment they would, they would surrender by a word of prayer, a word of prayer, 
You don't need to know fancy words to pray. You just need from your heart to talk to God and a prayer that could sound like this. God, please forgive me. I have lived a life on my own will, not surrendering to your will. And now I come to you and I ask, please, Lord, forgive me and help me from this point on to live for you and your glory. And I pray, Father, for all those that take that step, take, go on that journey, that, Lord, you would help them to grow in their knowledge and their understanding of you. And for us, your people, your church, may we know the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select Engaging in God's Mission for the Church from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, the church has received its mission from God, but it's not limited to evangelism. The church has a pastoral role, a prophetic role and a teaching role in a range of contexts. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.